Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 36. that this passage of Scripture comes right on the heels of the uh, Last Supper, Jesus advising Peter that he would soon deny him before the rooster would crow in the morning, that Peter would have denied him three times. They leave now and are going out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where we pick up the Scripture. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even on the death. Carry ye here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and said unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it. Thy will be done. He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be gone. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Let us unite together there. We thank you, Lord, for a time that we can come apart from the affairs of the world and in the solemnness of this sanctuary. Praise your name and worship you. We lift our voices to you in prayer and thanksgiving and praise. We thank you for each one present this morning. For our visitors, we give you thanks for them. We pray, Lord, that your spirit, whom we studied this morning in Sunday school, will be so close to each of us. We will be aware of your mighty presence to rule our hearts, speak to us in a special way. And, Lord, if there's any of this congregation that are unsaved, May this be an hour of decision when the 
allow the power of the Spirit of God to dwell mightily within you. We pray in Christ's name. How many of you have arthritis? Put your hands way up high. I want you everybody to look around and see how many people have arthritis. I don't know how many that is. A dozen of us. I have arthritis in that thumb. That's pretty bad. Sometimes, after I've shaken hands with you on Sunday morning, I hold my hand the rest of the day trying to get that thumb to work again. We live in, a, in, a, in an area where arthritis is, is very bad. My father, grandfather rather, or my father as well, but my grandfather, I remember, uh, as long as I can remember him, he was extremely stooped and his hands were drawn to, uh, just like that. When he shook hands, he couldn't do it because he could not open, open his hands. I remember him that way. I remember... All my life has been that way. I was told that I learned later on that when he was a young man and had a young family that he worked on his farm. And uh, when it started raining, the kids would all say, it's raining, let's go to the house. And he said, no, there's no use going quitting yet because we're not wet. And then after they got wet, Kids would say, hey, we need to go to the house. We're wet. He said, well, you're wet now. There's no use stopping now. We might as well go to work. I've always attributed the fact that he paid no attention to the elements to, to bring on his, his problems with arthritis and his joints as well. And, and it was quite a crippling disease to him. And many people that uh, in this congregation and many that you know have, have a crippling problem related to, to arthritis or similar such diseases that stiffen the joints. I want to talk a little bit about spiritual arthritis this morning that stiffens the joints and oftentimes makes our necks stiff so that we can't bend our knees. And maybe more of us have that problem than have the, the uh, physical arthritis that I ask you if you would acknowledge that you have a problem with arthritis. We are so occupied with the affairs of the world, the concerns of our own lives, and trying to solve the problems that we have, that we develop a stiffness primarily in the neck that affects our capability of getting on our knees before God. This is a strange disease that affects a part of the body so far removed from the part of the world. I think you're seeing the parallel of the swiftness of the neck to that of the knee joints somehow or other makes it difficult for us to really pray. I talked about prayer last Sunday, and I want to again today from a different perspective. Although we do not have to get on our knees to 
pray from a physical standpoint. We don't need to be on our knees. The position of the body has little to say about the condition of the spirit when it comes to prayer. One can certainly pray standing or kneeling or sitting or lying. I remember hearing the little poem that I've forgotten exactly how it goes except the statement in it about a man who fell in a well on his head. And his conclusion was that he prayed the grandest prayer he ever prayed standing on his head. Where, in what conditions were you when you prayed the grandest prayer you ever prayed? What were you involved in? What did you do? Prayer is man's part in a two-way conversation between God and man, or man and God, in which man's position is to bring himself to a, an attitude of submission, which is generally represented by one being on his knees. Those of us who got on our knees when we proposed to our wife probably didn't realize at the time that we were in a posture of submission. We found that out later, you ladies. We, we know that we are now. Uh, that was an attitude of submission, but it is that attitude that brought us to our knees to ask our wife to be, to marry us, that should be represented in the life of every person as we get on our knees and talk to our Heavenly Father in a confession of our life and a petition that God respond in some way to us based upon what we have requested. Unfortunately, I think prayer has lost its impact upon most people. When it comes time for prayer and a part of a church service, that's the time to, while the person is praying, to do other things. It's time for the person leading the music to get his hymn book ready for the next number. It's time for the preacher to find these notes and figure out what he's going to say when he gets in the book. It's time for the person in the pew to whisper to the one next to them about some burning subject that can't wait. It's time to fidget and to do other things. It's a, time, a law in the service that really has little meaning. That has become the position of prayer in worship services, a time of 
that is wasted seemingly. And yet it ought to be the very center of our total worship attitude. Because it's when we talk to God and He in turn talks to us. I've entitled the message this morning, The Perfect Prayer. In order to reflect upon that subject, we're going to look at the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went out there with his disciples out of the upper room. They noticed that he was distressed, that he was not smiling, that he had some real deep burdens on his heart. He said to his disciples, you sit here while I go there and pray. But out of that group of disciples, he selected Peter and James and John. And he said, you three go with me. And he went a little further and he said to them, now you wait here while I go just a little further and pray. But they were within, I believe, earshot. They could hear what he was praying. They could see what he was doing. And the recorded words that we have about his prayer said nothing at all about world conditions. Although there is a time to pray for the poor in Africa and their needs. It said nothing about the affairs of the government, and though there are times that certainly we need to pray for our government. But this was a time of personal concern when he was doing nothing about anybody else's needs. He was thinking about himself. There comes a time when our prayers are that personal. There ought to be times that we do pray about the church and the sick and the world. They ought to be in our prayers and go to God. But I'm talking this morning about that time in your life and mine when all the affairs of the world must be blotted out and we think nothing but about ourselves and God. This is where Jesus was. Those times when our pressures are on us begin to bow. Those times when we have problems that we can't seem to solve. Those periods of uncertainty when we don't know what to do next. And we're just about to sink in the mire of our own personal affairs. Then we can turn to the prayer that Jesus prayed. The first thing that he did would say to his three closest, go with me a little further and watch. 
I think, to gather around us some very close friends at times when we are together. And we probably, like Peter and James and John, fail to be as close to our friend as we ought to be when they're in that need of this special prayer. They noticed how sorrowful he was, how very heavy was his heart. And he put them there in a particular spot said, watch with me. They watched, and he went a little further, and they saw that he fell on his face. He prostrated himself on the ground. Because he was in so much concern, and so heavy with the burden that he was bearing, so sorrowful he was for what he had to, to say that he could not stand on his feet. He couldn't even sit on the rock. He didn't just fold his hands and bow his head. He fell on his face. I'm telling you, Using that as our illustration of a perfect prayer when you really, really want to pray, you'll find yourself in total humility before God, and there will be no stiffness in the neck, nor of the knees. We will come to complete prostration before God and began to pour out our prayer. Look what he said in his prayer. In the 39th verse, you ought to underline it, highlight it, do something. He said, Oh, my Father. You remember when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray? He began that model by saying, Our Father, It is important that we call to our Father. David was sitting on the hillside watching his sheep. He was their shepherd, their protector, their guardian, their provider in every way. And as he reflected upon that which he was doing, he began to realize that as he was to those sheep, so was God to him. And he penned that very famous hymn that the Old Testament people sang, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. David recognized that God was his father. 
Jesus called upon God as his father, and they began to have a father-son conversation. The same kind of conversation that you and I can have with the father. You know what that conversation proved to me? One that caused David and one that caused Jesus himself to realize that there was no need of over-anxiety because the Father was in control. In the sixth chapter of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us some very, very important passages of Scripture. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 24, and I want to read and comment on just a few of these verses very quickly. He begins by saying in verse 24 that no man can serve two masters. We haven't learned that yet. But we try to serve two. And we can't do it. We can't serve God on the one hand and Satan on the other hand at the same time. It's impossible. And he concluded by saying, if you try it, you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. You're going to despise one and adhere to the other. Then it begins in verse 25, and therefore I say to you, because this is true, I say to you, assuming now that a person is going to serve God, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither yet for your body, what ye shall put on is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment or clothing. We haven't learned that lesson either. Somehow or other we think that all of life is embodied in pursuing something to eat and something to wear and a place to live. We have missed the purpose of life. And he says, observe the fowls of the air, the birds. They don't sow, nor reap, nor gather into bars, and yet your father feeds them. He said, can any of you, by thinking, add one cubit to your height? If we could do that, there would be several of us that would be taller than we are. But we can't do it. He says, well, if you can't even do a simple thing like that, why, why take thought for raiment? Consider the lilies. They grow in the field, and they don't toil or spit. And, but he says, yet your father clothes the grass of the field, in verse 30, if you're following me. But how much more are you? How much more valuable? Is it 
impossible to think that God is going to abandon us and consider us of less value than the lilies or the birds. When we learned in our Sunday school lesson this morning that he promised he would never leave us, We'll go down to verse 33. When he tells us what to do to have all of this, the raiment and the food and so on, he says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There's the key to having out of life what we want. And we don't believe it. The way to have an enjoyable life is to put the kingdom of God first. Our desire for it. Put God in the forefront. Fall on our face and say, Oh, my Father, and mean it. And we have begun to have a good life. That doesn't mean that we're going to have everything that we want. It means that God will take care of us within his will. Then if you will notice, back to the text, that Jesus says another thing in verse 39. He says, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus asks not to go to the cross. That's what he asked. If there's another way, Lord, Father, if there's another way, don't make me go to the cross. Was it possible? If you ask, was it possible within the power of God to prevent Jesus from going to the cross, I think we'd have to answer yes. But if we ask the question, is it possible that Jesus could be taken away from going to the cross and still fulfill the purpose of God, the answer is no. What was the purpose in Jesus coming? His purpose in coming and dying on the cross was to make it possible for you and for me to live. Listen. Jesus said, Lord, if it's possible to save those people in Olive Branch Church without my going to the cross, let me do something else. And God had to respond, without your death, it is impossible to save anybody. That was the plan. Yes, there was the power. But the same thing is true here as was true when, when the uh, Judas and the soldiers came into the garden and got ready to arrest Jesus, and Peter grabbed his sword and reached out and sliced off the ears of the soldiers. 
he fell on the ground. Jesus picked it up and put it back up. And he gave Peter a short lesson, a little talking to, if you will. And in the 54th verse of this same chapter, he makes the point. How shall the scripture be fulfilled? Thus it must be. He will say, Peter, don't do that. I must be arrested. I must be tried. I must die on the cross. For without it, how can the scripture be fulfilled? He had to do it. Now, given that as a God. Let's take our prayer. Father, if it's possible, take away my burden. You know what your burden is, what your problem is, what you're going through. And you honestly have called upon the Father, you're prostrate before him. Your tears are going down your cheeks. You're praying honestly, but your prayer is, God, take away my burden, the thing that I'm praying for. Now, let's, let's assume that God responds this way. God says back to you, my plan was to use you with your burden to make a blessing out of that for your family. My purpose was to use you carrying your burden to bring a blessing to the church. My purpose in having you carry that burden was to use it to win somebody to my son. If you don't do it, who will? Who will? Shall I get somebody else? How shall I accomplish my purpose if you bow out of the picture? The same question that Jesus asked the Father is the same question that you and I have just now asked our Father. Lord, take me out of this picture. Lift my burden. And the Lord comes back and says, then how shall I accomplish my purpose? Jesus said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. That's the question we, or the statement that we made to our Lord. But the Lord doesn't stop there. He comes back and says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Here is the perfect prayer. We call on the Father and we lay on him in every detail the burden that we have and we say, God, take him away from me. And forget to say, nevertheless, not what I'm asking for, but what you want. Nevertheless, not my will. Complete submission. He laid his case before the Father. 
He placed, however, himself completely and fully within the will of the Father. He didn't just ask one time, he went back the second time. He stopped his praying and he came to find his friends. They were all asleep. And he said to Peter, Peter, you just got through telling me that you would do anything for me, you would die for me, and all I asked you to do was pray with me for an hour, and I come back and find you asleep. Isn't that a sad statement? And I'm afraid our Lord has asked us time after time, just pray with me an hour. He comes back and finds that we've gone off to do something else, or that we're just asleep. He says, I know. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. He goes back and he prays again. This time he prays, O my Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, then thy will be done. There, children, is the prayer we need to make. If you won't even though I don't understand it. I can't figure out why. We're going to be prostrate before him and say, nevertheless, it's your will that will be done. We say, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I the clay. Mold me, make me, after thy will. But I'm waiting, yielded it still. And listen, we can't pray that song. Sing it with a stiff neck that won't allow us to bend our knees before the Father. You want to pray a perfect prayer? Call on God your Father in an attitude of complete submission. Ask Him if you have a burden to take it away. But remember and ask Him, He may not take it away because He is intending to use you with your burden to be a blessing in His kingdom. And if you don't bear it, carry that burden. Someone, somebody, somewhere will miss out on a tremendous blessing because you are the only one that he has prepared for that task. And he has determined the way to get the message across is for you to be faithful in carrying your burden. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.